And now on PG Podcast Network, it's time to unlock the secrets of the Masters. Who they are, how they got there, and how they stayed on top in the topsy-turvy worlds of marketing, media, and advertising. Hello and welcome to this very special edition. I'm Paul Gardner, and thank you for listening and hopefully learning from today's Master. Today's master is a person who's a very rare beast. I've always found it difficult to see a person who can combine creativity and entrepreneurship. Sometimes one's good at creative, but they're terrible business people, and one's a good business person, but they don't have a creative bone in their body. And the person I'm talking to today has both in spades. That's Rod Bennett. Rod, I welcome. Thank you. And here we are at the Botanic Hotel. We are. Scene of many an advertising lunch, I'm sure. Is this where we got creative in this place, or is it where we got business like? If we got sure. entrepreneur, we would have bought it about 20 years ago, but we didn't do that. Uh, you've been in the business for 40 years. Now, before mm. we, we touch on the actual business itself, where did it all start? Before you were a Rotto, you're obviously a Frotto from New Zealand, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, where it all started. I was born in England uh, straight after the war. I didn't cause the war, I was just born after the war. Um, Mum and Dad packed up family in London and headed away to Australia. On the way to Australia, they, Dad had picked out Perth for some reason. Someone said, look, if you're leaving Europe um, and you want to get really a long way away, there's places even further than that, and that's New Zealand. So I finished up there. So, so they ran away from the war, basically? They left the war. They, they, the house had been bombed in London, and there was a you know, fractured family and various other things, so they, they, uh, they got away. Um, so you settled, settled in Auckland, or no? The little little town called Napier on the oh, east yeah. coast of the North Island. How did they pick Napier? No idea. Unbombable. I have no idea. It's just where they they finished up. Beautiful, sunny little town, and perfect childhood. I mean, grew up just running around on the beach. It was great. Anyway, I get to the end of high school, and my sisters had gone off to university, and mum still and in Dad, New Zealand. Still in New Zealand. Yeah. And mum and dad said to me, "So, what are you going to do?" because you don't seem to be very good at very many things. And I had no idea. I, I was playing in a band, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I was singing with another band, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I discovered surfing, because it was right about the time the surfing sort of exploded. And I had no idea about a career of any kind. So my mother sat me down one day and said, look, the only thing you really can do is write. You're a pretty good writer. Um, there's not many writing jobs in a tiny town, but there's a radio station run by the NZBC, which is the equivalent of the ABC, mm-hmm. uh, and they're looking for a copywriter. Why don't you go down and talk to them? So I did. And to cut a long story short, I worked in a couple of radio stations in New Zealand, then came to Australia because I wanted to surf in Australia. Because the Napier surf wasn't big enough for you? Well, it was very cold. I mean, you know, <laughs> surfing in Napier meant sitting in the water looking at a mountain range covered in snow, right? So, I mean, that was if summer. You, if you were, that was summer. And if you weren't cold, then you were by the end of it. So I arrived in, in Sydney, bummed around for quite a while, washed cars and cut some cane up in Queensland, worked in an iron foundry, and then thought I'd better get a job. Well, I had no credential, except other, I wrote some copy in... I'd been on radio a few times. You'd been on as, as a Oh, announcer. yeah, they, they allowed me... You've got a great voice. They, thank you very much. Thank you. But they... Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I tried to find a job that way. Of course, I was unemployable as far as agencies were concerned. I didn't really understand the agency scene. 
And then I met a girl that uh, I'd known in uh, in New Zealand. She'd worked with me at the radio station, and she'd managed to get herself a job in a department store in the in the copy. It was uh, a store called Walton's. Okay. And I became a retail copywriter at Walton's. Couldn't uh, get into an agency and got bored with that after a couple of years. So I went to Adelaide. So what? How old are you then? I'm oh, I'm a baby. I'm yeah, 24. Early 20s, okay. 24, yeah. So I go to Adelaide, and uh, I managed to get into an agency in Adelaide. I've got an introduction, I've got into an agency in Adelaide. I spent four years there when I left. I went there with a company called, um, I went there with a company called Fortune. Okay, um, yeah, sure. And when I left there, um, I was creative director of Clemenges. Uh, in Adelaide. I'd, I'd worked my way through three or four agencies. In, in those days, Rod, the, oh, the days that we know, they, they, there, was a, there was a big divide between retail and non-retail. Huge. Was, it, was it hard to make that jump? From oh, it was huge. It was huge. I mean, to be perfectly honest, at that particular point in my career, and I make no apologies for it at all, I was making it up as I went along. I was learning so fast, it was crazy. Because well, I so, so am I doing that now. <laughs> so nothing's changed. But it was also very good because I, I was, it was back in the days of doing word counts. So okay. you actually, you know, it was, yeah. it was lead type and all that sort of stuff. And I learned about radio by literally going and doing radio. I learned about television by working in, in ch- Channel 7 making retail commercials on the floor. Um, then I went back to Sydney, became National Creative Director of, of uh, Fortune, left there and came down to Melbourne which is where you and I met up and uh, bought into my first agency which uh, was cut Skinner Bennett. What, what became a fortune? What Did it merge into something? Look, it, 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 it don't really know my history there too much. It was a family company. It was owned by a guy called Ken Landall Jones and he passed it along to his son. I believe it was bought out by someone. Ken had an amazing um, influence on, on reasonable sized pieces of business. He had the Tease account which was huge they were the original mm-hmm. importers of Toyota mm-hmm. yep. um, he knew Sophia Kelly at uh, Woolworths so we found our way into some amazing accounts um, very big ones and for a while it was quite a successful agency so you, you're buying a cut skin of Bennett yep. and uh, you couldn't find any three more different characters than no. you John Skinner and sort of cut how, no. how did you sort of balance that well it's interesting because we, we were all working for a company called Berry Curry and Berry Curry decided to sell out to Doyle Dane and Burnbark and we made a counter offer and said, look, you know, why don't, uh, why don't we buy the local branch? And we did. And thankfully for us, the family, the Curry family who owned Berry Curry and were in the process of selling were very reasonable about it all and we, we got a kick start. So there were three of us. There was uh, Sulev Cut, who was Estonian, and Sulev was um, was the uh, was an accountant and uh, and was CEO. John Skinner was at the time was a was a account director, mm-hmm. and and I was creative director. And we had a reasonable size agency with some really great clients. We had Kodak and various others. Who, who was the first person? Was that part of your entrepreneurial spirit to say we should do this, or was that something Sulev brought to you guys? Or um, look. Uh, you know, twenty twenty hindsight's a really valuable thing, but no, I uh, I was ready for it. Whatever the discussions were, I was more than ready for it. At the princely and, age um, of thirty. At the princely age of thirty, and when we had discussions about um, about buying it, I carried those discussions. I went and sat down with Bill Curry, who remains a good friend today, 
and uh, and his brother John and I carried the discussions that that, that I was armed to the teeth with um, with <laughs> with the right facts and information but I learned everything I knew about buying into a business and setting up a business through that process so Roger you've, you've landed in New Zealand mm-hmm. you've been unsuccessful as a surfer in Napier absolutely you've Moved not to a, not, no good as a band. No good in a band either. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to sing. It's okay. Yeah. So my acting mo- career was nothing. You've moved it over time. So all the way along, have you noticed this entrepreneurial streak? Did you realise it then, or is that something you've realised in hindsight again? No, look, it was gifted. It was gifted. It was the most extraordinary thing. With um, mum and dad, were they? Were they? Mum, mum and dad. Mum okay, and dad. I guess were, they moved to Mum and dad them, were entrepreneurial in that sense, but mum and dad were basic working class folk. Great people. And they gave me one extraordinary thing. I was the only boy amongst uh, in a family of, of, of three girls. So three girls and me. I was the only son. Were you the youngest? No, I was middle. Okay. I was, I was third. Okay. Um, but I was the favoured son. And I, I, looking back, I was definitely indulged. But um, the one thing that they, my folks gave me in spades was, was absolute confidence in what I was doing at any given moment of time. I had a great childhood. And I grew up feeling really safe and warm and, and you know, well-loved. And I believe that's carried through my life. I've never been, well, rarely have I been in a circumstance where I've felt really uncomfortable or threatened, regardless of circumstance. And that's quite an interesting observation. Now, and maybe that's stupidity, probably. <laughs> maybe it's naivety. Could well be. Um, maybe I've just not that smart. But uh, having... It's a, it's a unique thing. When I'm, I've worked with prime ministers, as, yep. as you have, in terms of doing. I mean, I've worked with captains of industry at various levels. I don't think I've ever sat down with anybody anywhere in the world, and I'm lucky enough to work all over the world, where I've thought, wow, I'm out of my depth here. Okay. Been out of my depth in certain company on certain subjects, because if you're with a group of nuclear scientists. Come and blood you plasma. Exactly. Microbiology. You, but you don't say anything in those circumstances. You're not trying to lead the charge. But when you're sitting down talking about the business of business, or you're talking about marketing particularly, after a certain number of years, your confidence in what you know and what you're doing should be there. If it's not there by that stage, you're in the wrong gig. Rod, Cut Skinner Bennett is where I imagine you started your partnership with Jack Room? Yes, it was. I mean, it was, it's almost indivisible. I mean, when you say Bennett, you say Room almost <laughs> automatically. Yeah. I mean, how did, how did you and Jack get together? Look, um, I was... I, I was looking for an art director partner. I was a writer and creative director of the agency at the time, and I would work with a number of my art directors, and they were good ones, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the agency. I don't know, at the stage we probably had about 12 creatives, I guess. Um, but I was looking for somebody to really partner up with. And there was a great lady at the time who was a headhunter in, in Melbourne called Claire Worthington. Uh-huh, sure. And Claire rang me one day and said, this boy, Jack Ram, just come back from overseas. He's just fantastic. History with Jay Waller Thompson's uh, great design. Uh, you really should talk to him. So uh, I met him and we began working together immediately. Not long after that, because um, he's a immensely talented guy, and uh, not long after that, I got the feeling that if there weren't enough challenges in his life, you know, he was ambitious. He was going to go somewhere else. So I turned him one day and said, why don't we become joint creative directors? You and I will be creative directors in tandem. Yep. That's what we did. And um, we worked on the same desk for 36 years, I think it was, 35, 36 years. One uh, desk. Now, part of, part of that desk changed ownership because you sold out to Art. Yes. 
now, as a person who's been fiercely independent and entrepreneurial, apart from the money, what was the appeal of YNR? There were, look, there were a number of things happening at that particular time. The partnership of Cutskin and Bennett had gone about as far as it could go, and there were restrictions within that, not more to do with what our view of the world was than anything else. And at the same time, we've been very, very successfully creatively. We were, you know, it matters not at all, but the greatest creative agency in Melbourne at that time was the Campaign Palace, and in, and in the yearly polls that they had of who came second, we did. So we were... A, Great number two, but you know, and we and and as far as I was concerned at this particular stage, it was a time to cash up yep. um, from the life stage point of view. You know, just simply realising some wealth, um, but also from a point of view of of wanting to get a clearer idea of what came next. And I was still a young man. I mean, I was in my mid thirties or something at that particular point, and. Um, so Young and Rubicon were, were just a really great fit. They, they had a small agency in Melbourne. We had a big agency, relatively speaking, for them. And um, they saw a lot of advantage in, in us. And, and I guess, without putting too fine a point on it, um, it was a good deal. But, but eventually the entrepreneurial spirit bit again. Well, I took myself... I, I was not, I'm not a good employee. And I, I think okay. I'm... I wouldn't employ me, and um, I think once the farm had been sold, I, you know, being fair it's to everybody else, it's easier to be the bat than the ball. Exactly, being fair to everybody else, I wasn't necessarily the happiest individual, and I probably wasn't that useful. So after a short period of time, I turned to the other partners and said, "Look, I really think I should leave." Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a very good offer from Joe Waller Thompson, so I went to Joe Waller Thompson's creative director and and uh, happily worked away there. While that was going on, I started to um, I started to think about the next one. Yeah. Because I wanted to build one that I thought would be a better model than the first. So what, what was kicking in that? that was that ego? Or? I'm sure it was. Yeah, I'm sure that was an element of it. But there was a really strong sense that there was a better way of doing things. So when you, went, when you eventually started Badger... You didn't go back to a Sulif Cut or a John Skinner. You, you started the no. I, Don I, Jeffrey I, I, was obviously yeah, there. Jack yeah. Room was obviously and, there. Yeah, and and and, and, uh, and, and Kevin Dutton. And um, well, Jack and Don had both worked with me previously, obviously. Um, and they worked through their contracts, as we all did, and we you know we were free and clear to start again if we wanted to. Um, and we did. I mean, we we literally met in uh, uh, a pub not too similar to this one. Um, empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to everybody? <laughs> and uh, and and over a series of, of uh, fairly intelligent lunches, um, we put the rudiments of it together. And it was it was an interesting it was an interesting grouping because Don Jeffrey was one of the best marketers I'd I'd known. He he was uh, my client at McCain Foods, which was a client of ours, and um, and. He, his 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 knowledge of marketing strategy was was profound. He'd, he started at Gillette and he'd uh, and he'd worked his way through. He knew sales and marketing. A lot of people don't get the importance of all of that. And Kevin Dutton was similar. Kevin had been with Heinz. He'd been with and he'd worked for a long time with Kevin Luscombe, um, mm-hmm. who, who's probably the number one marketer of, of uh, FMCG at that time. So they both had great pedigree in, in the marketing sense and and. Without putting too fine a point on it, Jack and I were a very productive, very fast, 
and very strategically oriented creative team. We could get to the guts of a, of a, of a, of a value proposition and put that into, into mass marketing terms. I think as well as anybody. But, but you met. were pragmatic too. Weren't we you? were pragmatic. You know, it wasn't, wasn't we were creative for the sake of creativity. We were was... there to sell stuff. Yeah. We were there to make people famous. And we weren't there necessarily. We, we won more than our fair share of awards. Sure. And we were happy to. Don't you look back but, on work? Do you look on work today and say that it's not pragmatic? It doesn't sell anything? It's yeah, just, I still do. It's just cute. I still do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do as well. I sit down and look at messages that flow past me, whether they be on small screens or large ones. And I wonder what the motivation is. Yeah. Now, sometimes it might be clever. Sometimes it might be a hook of some sort that will have me go back. But most times it's banal and stupid. And, and when that happens, I mean, when something really pops up in your focus that you haven't seen before, it might be a new movie, it could be a piece of music, it could be a, a commercial or a billboard, it could be anything. When it does, it's a wonderful surprise, and you go, holy shit, that's great. I get it. I love that. <laughs> I see it, I understand. Isn't that good? Yeah, wow. <laughs> Isn't that good? Who did yeah. that? So, so Badger, was Badger the agency you always wanted? Yeah. yeah. You loved it? It was, the, it, it was, it was what, it, what it should have been and it was what I would, ne- what I would never do again because no one will ever allow me to do it again. What made it, diff- what made it so different? What, Look, what was it, it, so it, was, it was a matched set of partners. It was four seriously good brains with different skills. I mean, to be perfectly honest, if you put us together now, we'd all have a damn fine lunch, but if you... <laughs> He put us together under the wrong circumstances, we'd kill each other. Yeah. We were very strong, we were very opinionated, and we were well, well connected and highly motivated. We worked incredibly hard. One of the things that really irritated me about the advertising industry at various times was the way people would look at it and go, you guys just play all the time, you're having so much fun. And when we played, we played. Yeah. But we worked harder. I mean, I, you know, I know that people in all forms of, of professionalism work hard. But we did 80, 90 hour weeks without even a, you know, I have two broken marriages to testify to just how well that went. You know? yeah, yeah. We worked immensely hard and weekends disappeared and long nights we worked. And that's what it was expected of us and I think we expected it of ourselves. What, what, what was your second choice for a name? There wasn't one. We, uh, we sat down and said, right, if we're going to do, if it's going to be, a, we knew that the names of the individuals, we, we all had credential, and we, we worked out that, that having the credential on the door was not a bad way to go. I mean, if you stop and think about Ogilvy or Doyle Dan and Birnbach or anything you like, having the, having any a law firm, Stuart and Luscombe. exactly, but a, but but a law firm, doctors. I mean, the names are on the door, and I think it's a shortcut. It's not a bad, It's not a brand at that point. And um, we we sat down and said, right, well, Bennett. We do it in alphabetical order, and we won't have an argument. So Bennett and Dutton, Jeffrey, and Room. Gee, that's long. And Jack rang up in the middle of the night. It was two o'clock in the morning, and, and rang me and said, "I think I've solved it." He said, "If you take the make it an acronym, and you go Bennett and Dutton, Jeffrey and Room, you get a misspelt badger." Yep. Okay. Good. He said, and then you get this black and white furry. So go back to sleep. You get a black and white furry critter, and we'll use that as a symbol. The European badger. I went, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> went back to sleep, and the next day there it was, and it became a great brand. I mean, the, the association between a marketing communications company, ad agency, whatever, whatever, and a, and a hairy critter out of Europe, <laughs> misspelled, <laughs> misspelled, <laughs> couldn't be a longer bow, but it worked incredibly well for us. And as you know, we milked it. You know, we we, uh, we used it. How many years? 
from the way to go. We 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 formed, sold, sold, we, we we've set it up in '87. You sold in and and mm. 2009, I think. Yeah, so 2008, you retired, right? 2008. So you yeah. lasted 11 years. So you lasted longer than cuts going to be. No, no, hang on. No, 87. So 20, 21 years. 87. Yeah, yeah. Twenty yeah. years. Yeah. And you loved every minute. Loved every minute of it. Why'd you sell? Again, to realise the asset. Had all, I, all the, the partners hadn't had enough. We, we set up the company with the plan to sell. Yeah. One of the part of part of our part of our starting up was to actually sell the company. We we didn't believe if we if we if we'd gone global, if for some strange reason we'd managed to to go Australia wide and maybe it would become a public company, maybe it would have been a different thing. But at that particular page, we said at that particular time, we set out quite deliberately. To, to build an asset. We saw it as being a 10-year journey minimum. Okay. Um, it ran to 21, 22, whatever it was. And uh, and the other, and Don Jeffrey was the last partner to leave. Yep. He, he left three or four years after I did. So by that time, by the time I'd retired, it, for me it was it was time to go. The, the We had a really we had wonderful client base. I mean, we had extraordinary clients. We had banks. We had, we had the Bendigo Bank, which was a great client of ours. We had we had multiple food brands. We had some of the best wine brands in the country. We had BMW. We, we had Amy Insurance and three or four other brands of insurance as well. I mean, it was we couldn't have been doing much better, but it was exhausting. It was exhausting, and when you start hitting sixty, you start to go, "Well, you know, this has been doing this a long time." So, when you're at Cuts Gonna Bet, you sold to Y&R because of the opportunities. When you're at Badger, you sell to Singletons, yes, which doesn't have the global opportunities, and it's STW, and, and and you know had had a major shareholding out of uh, out of um, WPP, yeah, but not really global opportunities for your staff, surely. Not really. Not really. I mean, we could have had that. It was quite a, quite an interesting story. I'm sure you won't mind me telling the story, but I left Jabal to Thompson to start Badger, yep. and we bought our little Badger partnership together. And um, someone contacted me one day from Jay Wally's and said, um, uh, if Martin Sorrell calls you, will you take the call? And I said, yeah, sure. Why, why is he calling? <laughs> and uh, he came and visited. He came and met with us. I mean, we were working out of the back of a car with a car phone at that particular point. And he just said straight up, he said, I'll buy you now. I'll buy Badger now. You can run it, you can do whatever you like with it, but I'll buy it. And I thought that was quite extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. We, we was full of hubris and we said, no, thank you very much, Sir Martin. He wasn't Sir Martin then. No, no, pre-knighthood. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but but um, he was right about the premise. We'd set it up to sell. So you retired 2008 yep. and that didn't go that well. I failed. Well, how can you fail retirement? Well, <laughs> is there a well, test or something? Or yeah, it? there is. <laughs> there is. What uh, what we what we did is, is uh, wife Amanda and I went off to um, went off to, to to Europe and we spent a year away. And my plan, quite straightforwardly, was I was tired. I was seriously tired. Um, the, you know, it, it, it's an exhausting industry. And being staying at the top of your game, we had a, we had a lot of people working for us. We we had you know, we had you know, 200, 300 plus people working in the place. Um, we'd combined the two agencies of Ogilvy, Ogilvy and Badger. It was a lot of business, and keeping your lid keeping your lid on that, managing it properly, keeping the clients keeping the clients. Um, it's big work. 
and I was tired. So got out of it and I thought, what do I want to do? And I knew I didn't want to have another advertising agency. I didn't want to have another company like that. I didn't know what else I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to write a couple of novels. Sure. I was got that entirely wrong. Yeah. Um, but I thought a holiday would be a great idea. So we, we took off to Europe. We found little uh, cottages in, in France and, and Italy and stooged around and had a wonderful time. While I was away, I realised that I love what I do. I love working with people. I love working with businesses. I love... The great part about what you and I did, what we did, is we we were given a brief to do something special. Uh-huh. Given a, You're giving... To make something better, to make something public, to make something work, to make something... I mean, the amount of number of jobs we must have created in various factories, whatever, how about... To solve this problem. Solve this problem. Yeah. And that part of it I love. So what, what happened to me while I was away is I started getting phone calls from people saying, what are you really doing? Um, and so when I, came back to, when I came back to Australia, I had an opportunity to work with, uh, with a couple of people in, in Australian Made, which I think is yeah. one of the most fantastic and undiscovered pieces of branding around the place. Good story for another day. And... One of the guys that had worked with me um, in in a company we started inside Badger, which was a strategy okay. planning group, yep. which we called SWAT. Grant Foster had left, and he had formed his uh, a, a, a brand and strategy organisation of his own, along with uh, Susan Ellis, who was at and, and McVay, right? and John McVeigh, who's okay. in yep. Parliament and whatever. Yep. So we had a consultancy up the eastern seaboard of the country, uh, of the country, and and they said to me, "Would you be?" chairman of this and I went yeah sure I'd love to so for the first three or four years when we got back first five years when we got back I was chairman of Ellis Foster McVeigh and we worked on nothing but brand strategies and and marketing strategies and business strategies how, how did you pull yourself back from the delivering the outcome I was surrounded by really good people again <laughs> come and, on and someone <laughs> shows this someone shows that how, how do you how do you say this is rubbish this is rubbish <laughs> And they're driving the cab to you and saying, we're going to see bloody Rod Bennett again, I can't believe it. We had the best time. We, we, got, we got to work for Storm. Uh, we got to work for the Rebels when they first started out. We, we worked, the, the, the team of people I worked with worked with, with Richmond, the Richmond Football Club. I mean, just with, with Brendan Gale right at the start of yeah. his journey. And, and we, and you know, they were just the sporting ones we worked with. We, we, had, we had a bunch of other clients and it was great fun. It was, it was unbolting whole brands or creating brands afresh, and that was that was a lot of fun. And and that and then you left there. I left there because um, I left there because of a couple of changes that took place within the company, um, and and um, and it was it was the right time. I I found myself doing more work than I necessarily had set out to. I was had the plan in semi-retirement of you know, two or three days a week and I found myself actually getting much more involved again. I yeah. actually found that I was back to five days a week. Yeah. And um, grandfather, children, travel, kids all over the world, you know, it, 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 I, I found the balancing of that wasn't working out. Can, you, can so. you ever really retire? No, I never will. Tell me about the books. So you mentioned the books a minute ago and when I looked up the books that you've written, I'm surprised there's not a fictional book there. It's all non-fiction. No. Why? Did you ever try and write a, a novel? No, I, but sorry, I did. I did, and and um, it came up empty. I, I actually researched two books, which I took away with me to Europe, 
Uh, two novels, even today, I think, have, have got strong plot lines. But I never sat down and wrote a page. I actually carried to France with me two, you know, a small bag on wheels filled with stuff that I got for two, two complete stories and, and an outline of each, just an outline. I never touched it. So you know, one day, living in the in the south of France, I wheeled the <laughs> wheeled the suitcase up to up to the little local tip and opened the big bin and threw the close the lid quietly. And uh, went back and saw wife Amanda and said, that's it, got rid of the books. <laughs> How cathartic. I thought of it on the road to Damascus like, or something like really important. It was a huge load taken off the mind. But yeah. you did do a number of But the books. business books I love because, yeah. because the business books for me were about people's lives and how they got to be where they were. So, for example, the first one was, was a thing we called 10 by 10, yeah. stimulated by the guys I worked with. They said, hey, you know, why don't we do this? And created this structure. We're quite, we were coming up to the millennium. We were coming up to 2000. And it was 1990. In fact, it was 1989. What about a book that interviews 10 serious business people about the next 10 years okay. in, a, in, yeah. in Australian business? Yeah. What needs to happen between now and 2000 that's going to make Australia great? Yeah. And the result of the book was, was 10 by 10. And, and at the time, you know, we, we, I, interviewed, um, I interviewed a whole bunch of people and each one head of an industry category. So, for example, Brian Lowton was head of BHP at the time and so the mining category was, was the interview. Turned the interviews into a point of view from that industry and the individual as to what Australia needed to do. John Elliott was in there. Um, was Sister Margaret Noon in there? No, Sister Margaret Noon was another book altogether. What, she, so very special kids, obviously it's very, very close to your heart. Yeah. Why that charity? Um, I got a phone call from... Um, I had, one of our clients at Badger was Tattersalls, and um, I got a phone call from um, David Jones, who yeah, was, sure. was chairman, I think, at the time, but David, yeah. um, David rang me and he said, look, I want to talk to you about Sister Margaret Noon and a charity called Very Special Kids, so I went down and saw them, and he said, look, we can't, can't make this a paid job, but we can, we can, we've got to give them a hand, because they desperately need, they desperately need funding. Jeffrey Kennett, when he was Premier, had, had gifted to the charity some land and a peppercorn rent where they could build yeah, a hospice. Right. And Very Special yeah. Kids is all about the families of children with life-threatening diseases, so, so, or life-threatening But it hadn't personally touched you? Hadn't touched me at all. Okay. Hadn't touched me at all. Okay. So David Jones introduced me to Sister Margaret Moon, the most extraordinary lady who's come in, and she didn't start the charity, she came in and, and worked with the charity and then her sheer drive and capacity. I mean, she was nicknamed the Velvet Steamroller at one stage because <laughs> quite literally whatever Margaret wanted she got. And we sat down and had a look at it and, um, and, and Tattersalls were a fantastic um, uh, benefactor to the organisation. They were, they were providing them with hundreds of thousands a year. Um, but the fact of life was that that couldn't go on. It could it, they, they, if they were just going to survive on you know, bequests. It was going to be a long, slow road. So we came up. The, the whole nation was to try and come up with some kind of fundraising exercise, and successful one away it went. Wonderful charity, Rod. Your business at the moment is called Gettable Wisdom. Yeah. And when I, when I look when I looked up today, even though I know I've known you for a long time, when I went through all the stuff that mentioned Rod Bennett, the word wisdom kept coming up a lot. Is that, is that important to you? 
I've never, I've never actually searched myself, so, so in the nicest possible way. Um, so I haven't associated that, but, but it comes from a slightly different place. The one thing that I've been doing a lot over the last eight or nine years, whether it's been with brands, it's been with a lot of, it's been a lot with a lot of smaller businesses too, and and individuals where I've mentored those people. And one of the things I realise about management is, particularly in small and medium-sized companies, is the loneliness of that. If you are, the, if you've started your own little company, sure. as, you, as, you, as you did, you finish up having a lot of conversations with yourself. Now the trouble with having conversations with yourself is you don't know when you're talking bullshit. You don't know when you've been really you profound, <laughs> but you agree on most things. So as a consequence, <laughs> there is not that pushback, which which is one of the things I got out of the partnerships that I had. I got really strong pushback from other good brains. It's yeah. what you get from really great client relationships. You know, you go in and say, look, I think I've got the meaning of life here. I think this is what we'll do about this. This will be great. And when you run into great minds, they push right back and say, wait a minute, isn't there a better way? Can we do this better? The thing that you miss when you're in a small business very often is, who do I talk to? Yeah. You can't get all the guys. It's the are, wisdom of experience. It, it's it, it's the wisdom of another voice. It is the wisdom of experience. It's I mean, it, it just can't be any voice. It has to be people that have been, but it has to be people that have been through the confidence of being able to speak honestly and with you about things and say, yeah, I understand where you're going with that idea. I understand why you're pushing the business in this direction. Have you thought about this? Is there another way? I realise that's a very strong point of view you've got, but why? And it's that testing. And so, that's that's, to me, I've found it to be immensely it, it's one of the things that empowers me I, I love it I love the opportunity to do it so having, having misspelt badger yes you then put a, a, a company out called gettable wisdom mm -hmm. does that mean the wisdom is largely inaccessible no well someone suggested me the other day it could be called regrettable wisdom which I thought <laughs> and someone else said forgettable wisdom which I thought was very unkind actually and uh, gettable just means it's accessible it's just there easy to get and it is. The wonderful part about it is there's a whole bunch of people, my age group, younger, your age group, younger, who are there with extraordinary seasoned points of view and experience. And we're in a gig economy where people can be... You can start talking to a guy who's a specialist in, in whatever subject you like, anywhere in the world this afternoon, if you just you know, get in touch with someone you know and say, do you know someone who understands this particular business? Isn't it called Google? It's called Google. You can get in touch with them that simply. Now, the, the piece that, that I enjoy is personal recommendation where someone turns around and says, yeah, you should talk to you, you should talk to Paul Gardner. He's the man to talk about this. And then they come and talk to you and you go, well, hang on, that's not exactly my, my strength, but I know this guy. Yeah, okay. And within that, we are very localised in business. In so Melbourne. it's wise, wise and, and, and context. Oh, without a doubt. Context and context. The, the wisdom is in the network. Yeah. The wisdom is in the network. If, if, if it sounds as if I'm claiming the wisdom for myself no, with that title, no. with that name, it's wrong. I'm not. It's, um, it says experience to me. It's, yeah. It says learn, out, learn from my mistakes and you yeah. know, understand yeah. I've done it, I've been there. Yeah. I mean, a line I use is um, a new look through old eyes. Mm. Mm. Nothing special. No, that's exactly right. Seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Rod, so to our business, or what was our business, mm. let's call it marketing communications for the sake of the exercise, <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you see it today? There's no more badges coming through, are there? Oh, look, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know that. I know there's a lot of smart companies coming through. I mean, it, it, it's, um, 
I, I work with uh, two or three really smart digital companies. But are they going to capture the big clients? I'm not sure. Some of them have. Uh, I don't see anything similar to Badger, but I'm not sure that Badger has a day anymore. It was right for when it was there. I th- what I what I would see now, and I don't want to be part of that. The, the, I don't want to be part of Marcoms in this sense. But what I um, what I see now is the challenges are just as great as they've always been. Right? The challenges haven't changed. People have changed and the mindsets have changed. So now there's a whole bunch of new challenges being brought, for example, by the, the sheer dominance of Facebook and, and Google when you look at the amount of media dollars that just flow through those, those two alone. Those two alone. The way that uh, you've, you've seen the breakdown in some instances of mass media and then, the, and then what seems to be a re-strengthening right now. The major news brands are having a comeback. Sure. Right? So what have we got? We've got a whole bunch of challenges and a whole... You know, I don't. You know, this whole thing about disruption never quite works for me. There's always been disruption. I'm sure you did, but I work with companies. I worked with Kodak, which, which one stage was was a the number one brand in image making yeah, wow. and, and memory, yeah, you know, whatever. Sure, and it's gone. Yeah. Right? And now you know everything that they were trying to do is inside your mobile phone, and you're storing your images that way. Kodak didn't have to go down that path. They actually had the digital camera. One of their internal guys, one of, their, one of their, their engineers, had invented the digital camera way back in the early 70s. And they looked at it and went, nah. I've seen a photo of that, there's a semi-trailer to move it. Oh no, it was big. <laughs> it was big. You couldn't actually <laughs> the lift word it. portable you couldn't, spring you the couldn't actually lift it to your face, no, no. So Rod, a, a, young, a young Rod Bennett rings you tomorrow gettable, looking for mm-hmm. gettable wisdom and says, I'm living in Napier, New Zealand. <laughs> And I'd like to come over to Australia because I've got this idea to start an advertising agency. What, what do you say to him? Oh, uh, get, on the, get on the plane and get over here. Do it. Yeah, do it. No, absolutely. Do it. Do it. The, wor- the world needs people who are prepared to go out and chance their arm. I reckon it, it, it's the bravest, bravest thing that people do when they go out and they say, right, I'm going to start a business. Not just a business of one, necessarily. I've got nothing against businesses of one. I am a business of one. Yeah. But... When you build something that employs people and then builds an infrastructure and then got, has got the critical mass to then you know, start working effectively you know, for other companies, that's a marvellous thing. That's a marvellous thing. And what a wonderful way to end. Rod Bennett, entrepreneur, creative director, creative entrepreneur, good friend. Thank you very much. Thank you.